Despite his multilingual background, it was his experience in prison in apartheid South Africa that turned Neville Alexander into a campaigner for language rights. I grew up in the Eastern Cape province of South Africa, in, around the city of Port Elizabeth. Essentially, we grew up bilingually, Afrikaans and English. I heard and learned a lot of Xhosa, but was never really compelled to use much of it, with the result that when I came to Cape Town at the age of 16, in 1953, to come and study at the university here, I had a very skimpy knowledge of Xhosa. I had an excellent, let's say, grammatical knowledge of German, which was a language I had studied as a subject. And, of course, I spoke and wrote English and Afrikaans fluently. I then learned some Xhosa at the university as a result of political activity, more than academic activity. And it was only when I got to Robben Island in 1963 that I really got to learn Xhosa because I was then compelled to learn it in order to speak to people who weren't fluent in English or Afrikaans. It was only on Robben Island that I became aware of, let's say, the power dimension of language. Up to that moment, up to the time I went to Robben Island, I think in spite of being an intellectual, academic and all the rest of a teacher, I think I'd always taken language for granted. There's always some sort of technical qualification that people had to have. For example, you had to know English if you wanted to get a good job in South Africa. You had to know Afrikaans if you wanted to work and live in the rural areas, Afrikaans being the dominant lingua franca in the rural areas up to today. And without those two languages, you were lost in terms of employment and remuneration and so on. That was obvious, but I never linked it to power, to class, to inequality and so on and so forth. It was only when I got to Robert Island and met, not for the first time, but certainly at close quarters for the first time, people who were not able to read and write English or Afrikaans, more particularly English, of course, that I realized the power dimension of language and gradually began studying and really focusing on that aspect of the language question in South Africa. We taught people who were so-called illiterates in prison how to read and write their own language, mostly Xhosa or Zulu or Sutu, and then most of them obviously wanted to use it as a bridge to English for the obvious reason that English was the dominant language of power in South Africa. After leaving prison, Alexander was involved in setting up the National English Project, which promoted the use of English. However, it quickly became apparent that the linguistic situation in South Africa was much more complex. There's no doubt that the middle-class elite believes that English is the way to go. They have their children sent to English medium schools. Basically, they believe that through English, South Africa can be united and South Africa can be uplifted and economically developed. Now, that is false in every dimension. English will not unite South Africa. Only multilingualism will unite South Africa, first of all. 
Secondly, English will not develop the economy. It will develop the economy of those who own the economy, not those who are consumers and the poor and marginalized majority. That can only happen if people are themselves, through their own languages, able to be part of that economy, understand economic development programs and so on, which if it's packaged in English, nobody understands. And then on a political level, from the point of view of democracy, it doesn't follow at all that English will make it possible for people to participate in decision-making. For the vast majority, it's irrelevant. They can only do that if it's done in their own languages, which means that we've got to equip the African languages terminologically from a lexical point of view, from the point of view of publications, translations and so on, in order to be used in certain ways. If we go down the English-only or English-mainly route, this is going to become another African disaster where the middle class and the elite are well-off and affluent and wonderful and Europeanized, and the vast majority of the people are either in the underclass or, in any case, in a hopeless situation, if that happens. It's not the fault of English, not at all. It's the fault of a particular language policy. Having renamed the project the National Language Project, Alexander argues for a policy that promotes indigenous African languages alongside English. The way we put it was that any South African citizen has to be trilingual. We insisted, more or less like everybody else, but for very different reasons, that English should be part of the package. But in addition to that, South Africa is an African country. We live in an African environment. People speak African languages. They cherish them. They value them. But these languages have no market value or very little. And yet, if the people, if this democracy is to become anything close to real, it's got to be, amongst other things, through the languages of the people. And for that reason, the indigenous African languages have to be given market value. And to take a simple example, if you want to become a member of the civil service, get employment in the public service, you have to know an African language. And knowing an African language doesn't simply mean speaking and understanding, it means reading and writing, even translating and interpreting in some cases. So you have to know an African language. That is not yet compulsory, but it's going to become that. And automatically this gives market value to African languages, certainly in the public sector, and the private sector will follow. We are saying that every South African should become as proficient in English as possible. So that a job like that is open to any South African. But you must remember, even if you are a medical doctor or a lawyer or a social worker, you still have to talk to ordinary people in a language that they understand. That's not English. That's Corsa, it's Afrikaans, it's other languages. So you've got to know both. Alexander does not accept that English should be used in official domains while Hosa or Zulu remain simply community languages. I do think the African languages, certainly the main African languages, can develop to very high levels of sophistication, nuanced, analytical, calibrated reasoning for that sort of purpose. They can be developed to that through translation mainly. It's something which governments don't understand. They think that English was born perfect. They don't realize that in the 1500s and 1600s, English was never used for science or technology, anything of the kind. People used Latin or Greek. 
and later on French and so on. And it takes time, obviously because of technology, software today, ICT and so on. These processes can be accelerated for other languages. Not in competition with English or French or any other language that matter, but in their own right. Up to the point where they actually serve certain functions, occupy certain domains in society. Instead of the African languages losing domain all the time, they need to be gaining domain in order to enhance literacy, enhance democracy, enhance economic development and so on. A careful line needs to be maintained between creating opportunities for speaking other languages and enforcing a multilingual policy. English-speaking people generally and English-speaking middle-class people in particular tend to be averse to learning other languages unless they're forced to because they think that they can do with English only. And in a general sort of sense, that's true. But of course, they miss out on many, many wonderful experiences when they do that. Any young student who's traveled in Europe, you know, done the European tour knows that. If you know some German, some French, some Italian, you get to know much more about life in these countries than if you only know English. So the point I'm making is that there is that resistance. There's no compulsion. We've insisted, even against our better knowledge, we've insisted there should be no compulsion to learn any language. Because of our own history, we've had two major conflicts in South African history around language. Anglo-Boer War, it wasn't fought about language, but language became the iconic sign, as it were, of that uh, conflict. And, of course, the Soweto uprising in 1976. So we are averse to compelling people to learn languages. We rather want to create conditions where they feel they want to and they should learn languages. It's perhaps a little bit utopian, but... I think it's better to be utopian than to be tyrannical. From the Open University. For more information, go to www.open.ac.uk forward slash use.